Dead Source, your home for incredibly frustrating trial results. My name's Nathan, your most judicial host. My name's Andy, your most I've never murdered anybody host. The most, you get the claim to that. And I'm Pat, your provocateur host. Uh, what, why don't I go first? Cause I have the, the bummer one. Um, uh, Sarah, my wife, uh, a little over a month ago, uh, I woke up to her screaming, uh, in pain. Um, and we had to call an ambulance. Uh, her back had completely gone out on her. And, uh, that has basically taken up the last month of our lives. She's, had trouble moving she's using a walker when she is able to get around and things have gone up and down we've seen i can't even count how many doctors at this point uh from you know physical therapists to surgeons to uh to pain management uh to like general doctors and trying er doctors and trying to figure out uh who can give us the right kind of medication so she's not screaming in pain and can't sleep uh has been really frustrating and having said that um some real genuine kindness from friends of ours uh in fact friends of the pod thank you marion uh for what that's worth <laughs> uh one of our patrons uh really really helped out getting us into see physical therapy far far earlier than we would have we would still be waiting for a month um but Yikes. finally it turns out that the right decision here is surgery. One of her discs uh, was pushed out incredibly far from some chiropractic work she'd done. And I can hear all of you through my headphones, not just the two of you, but everyone listening to this episode, roll their eyes when I say chiropractor. But um, I think we've learned our lesson. Uh, Sarah has been able to use them in the past really effectively, and she had some pain in the past that a chiropractor was able to help with. And in this case, uh, no chiropractor, it's seemingly caused the problem. That's terrible. This isn't the first time that I've heard about this, but I am incredibly sorry to Sarah and, uh, like just, she's a trooper for taking all of this in whatever stride she was taking it. Well, thank you. She, she really is. And the thing is, it's hard to be able to describe to a doctor, like, no, like Sarah is way more of a badass than I am like in terms of like being able to handle pain and like she's always like she's been part of a hiking club for years she did boxing for a while she ran marathons like she like she enjoys being active and like making sure that her body is flexible and that she stretches and everything like that and so this whole thing that she went into the chiropractor for she didn't have any pain before she went in. She was just trying to like do some preventative maintenance um, on a separate issue. It's just mm. it's crazy. But the good news is uh, to wrap up my piece for this is um, as of next week, hopefully before this episode drops, we will have uh, the surgery over and done with. And uh, supposedly there's an like a very good chance that it will. Uh, clear up the pain right away it's a very short surgery it's outpatient it only takes like an hour and uh the recovery time is like a day or two so 
Yay. Uh, well, we're, we're really excited about that. That's awesome. And and I know that there was, not to lengthen, like, our <laughs> how's your week, but um, I know there was some struggle with the uh, insurance, and so I'm glad that got cleared up. Right. So our friend Marion that I was talking about, Sorcerer, we were having trouble getting into physical therapy because the insurance required the physical therapy be done before it approved the surgery. And so after the insurance refused the surgery to pay for the surgery, we tried to sign up for physical therapy right away. And the soonest we could get it was like a month away. And uh, Marion was able to use some of her magic to make that only be a couple of days. And then we got into the physical therapist office and she's like, yeah, there's nothing I can do. Like you need surgery. And so the, the next day, literally, uh, the insurance, uh, talked to the surgeon and, uh, we were able to get it approved. So, um, and I do want to, like, I genuinely want to apologize to the listeners because all of the time that I would spend editing the podcast and dropping in stupid, like, uh, audio drops from eighties movies and stuff. I've been like trying to nurse my wife back to health or like at least away from pain a little bit. And uh, it's been nearly impossible to do any editing. So I really apologize that um, our episodes have been so sporadic lately. But uh, you got to have priorities, man. I mean, I I think I think (laughs) I speak for everybody in that, like, you know, important things come first, you know, and family is one of those. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't regret it, but I'm still sorry. Right. So anyway, uh, but that's, I mean, that's <clears> the big <throat> thing that's been going on. I've been having to do, ugh. I, I mean, I we all have our D&D group, and I found that D&D works well if everybody is either in person or if everybody is on the internet doing, like, Zoom it works very badly if one of us has to stay home with, with our wife who's in pain uh, trying to, like, tell jokes over uh, our friend's <laughs> uh, spotty cell phone signal. Yeah, or solve puzzles. But it's been, it's still been fun. It's been an, it's been a really, yeah, it's <laughs> it's been a really nice sort of distraction over the last month. Uh, so anyway, how are you guys doing? What's What's going on with you? I'm really good. So uh, I got to see Steve Hofstetter last week, and yeah. there were some other podcast hosts that were with me for that. Um, so that was a blast. His opening acts were terrific. Um, it was just a really fun night. We got to see uh, a few friends of the pod. Uh, yeah, speaking see... of sorcerers, Tim. Yeah, shout out yeah, to the Tim. famous Tim. We got and to it see was the Tim. first time that I'd met him. It was great. We got to meet Jen. And yeah, hi Jen. Apparently, super fan Jen. It was very nice to meet her. <laughs> and, and Matt and Ed. Specifically, I mean, it was, it was specifically um, Jen. I think what was interesting for me. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Jen is the first, like, I guess, super fan of the show that no, none of us knew prior to. Right, like, it was weird, right? Like it was weird that like right. somebody had actually listened to the episodes at all, much less. But, but someone that and... didn't actually directly know any of us, 
Right. And and we love and appreciate you and it was it was great to meet you. Definitely. Most interesting and surprising was that she wasn't from India. True. Right. Which is where least, most of our listeners come from. I actually didn't from. ask. Did you ask? I didn't ask. Oh, Jen, you know, Jen are you from India? Point. That's that's true. We didn't ask. <laughs> she Go didn't have much of an note. accent. Uh, tweet us at Dead Source. <laughs> um, and other than that, I I got a new job. Um, one of my close yeah! friends helped me to get a new job, and uh, so I'm no longer going to be hauling packages. So I'm very happy with the. Uh, the new job i've been doing it for a little while um we're doing like training and uh it's starting to ramp up where i'm actually like doing the kind of reports that i will be doing in the future um i'm just doing them at a slower rate than what's going to be expected of me later um but it's been a blast like it's it's been a really good experience it's the, this company is great and takes really good care of us so uh, much happier than I was with my old job, for sure. And we had, I mean, we were talking about it, but we recorded our last episode like a while back. And we were literally talking about, I was hitting on your old company about how they literally did not care about you or your well-being. Um, and so I'm very, very glad as your friend that you are out of that situation. So, hooray. Well, I suppose that's still true. That hasn't changed since I quit <laughs> that job. <laughs> But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not as focused on it. But yeah, for sure. Awesome. Right on, Andrew. Anything exciting happening with you? Well, I assume Pat has more because I haven't heard anything about his mom yet. Uh, I did get to see I got to see my mom, my two sisters, and my oh. two little baby nephews. Yeah, uh, both, both yeah. my sisters' husbands. Um, they all came into town this week. And I got to see them. Um, we'll be doing some... I know this dates the episode, but we'll be doing some Thanksgiving stuff um, nice. later on. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been just really great visiting with them, seeing them. Um, two of them live in Texas, and four of them live in Columbus. And with the pandemic and everything, like, it's been really hard to see everybody. So it was just really nice to all be in one place. And, um, you know, they're a really nice and f also funny group of people mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was it was very nice to to visit with them nice. and see my That's baby awesome. nephews and they're they're getting and, bigger and just for the audience's clarification in our last episode you said that your mom had been potentially exposed to covid by somebody that she walked with and that oh she's fine happen. yeah she 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 never got covid she's fully vaxxed um, and yeah, she never caught COVID or anything. She's totally fine. Well, um, I got to see one of my nieces recently. We went to the, um, so we went to go see, um, the Fakakta lights at the zoo. And I say Fakakta, which is like a Yiddish term for, I guess, oh, <laughs> um, the, the fucking lights at the zoo. So it's, like, so it's exactly what I thought. Yeah, gotcha. pretty much. Um, it's it's a way to say that without having to bleep it out. Um, it, which I, I only say because I don't actually find them that interesting. I mean, like, they're kind of cool for about five minutes. And then it's fucking cold out. And I, I know what, like, wow, it's more cloth wrapped in 
around wire with a light inside. Like, okay. What am I? It's well, at some when point, you're one and a half, that's pretty impressive. Right. Well, it was, it was nice. And, you know, the company is always nice. Always, we just talk as we walk and stuff. So I, you know, I get by not paying much attention to the lights at all. I don't care that much about that. But, um, we talk about this, that, and the other. Some of the, t- the tiger cubs were out. There's three new tiger cubs at the zoo. Yeah. And, they're so um, cute. I've they seen are pictures. so cute. And they were playing with each other. And like, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and Mia was adorable, so there was plenty of opportunity to just, you know, even though I didn't find the lights interesting, I found the baby who found the lights interesting, interesting. Yeah, there you go. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where, like, it's a lot like, and I say this in the Andiest-ish way possible. Sure. But, okay. Um, yeah. Like, I don't celebrate Christmas. I actually hate Christmas, but... I love the opportunity to, well, to a certain extent, I mean, there's, it's, it's a huge, horrible, awful holiday, but, um, I love any excuse to spend some time with my family and, you know, get together, play some board games and eat some food. And like, I don't like to have to stomach all of the, like, I mean, we've talked about my, (laughs) I have discomfort with gifts in general but also like the christmas holiday i'm super not christian so in that sense i have absolutely nothing invested in the holiday um i don't care for materialism and i and the gift giving process i find most of the joy uh people claim for the holiday to be pretty f***ing fake and, and thinly veiled because the second they run across the mildest inconvenience, they want to burn down hell. So, which is a new expression that I just made up and I'm going to keep using. But <laughs> well, it seemed like that would be very difficult, like, right, to burn so, down hell. But, I think it's but they find a way, well right? I, I like fireproof. it. So, anyway, <laughs> um, so anyway, the point being, like, there's a lot of awful to stomach in order to find a little silver lining, but I'm forced <laughs> but to do that. I want to be clear, Andy, so, you, you seem to have a problem with most of the things that bring people joy. Uh, not not everything, but like the Bah Humbug thing seems to like fit on you pretty well uh, based <laughs> on what you say uh, if you find annoying. And uh, I think it's okay to let other people enjoy. Like, I am also... Not a Christian, uh, but we've all grown up, at least in the U.S., we are, like, Christmas is crammed down our throats. And I find I like... Yeah, I resent that a lot. I Color me shocked. Yeah. Um, But, like, the thing is, I enjoy secular Christmas a lot because my family has come up and it gives us a chance to spend time with each other and, like... I know I'm going to have the day off, as is most everybody else I know. So if you want to do something, it gives you the time to do it. It's just, it's convenient, and I find I like it a lot. And none of the reasons I like it have anything to do with a virgin birth. Right. Well, there's also the, I mean, there's the fact that Christmas music is everywhere, nonstop at all, um, everything, uh, yep, hate from that. mid-October on, there's that 
both Halloween and Thanksgiving get pretty much just eaten alive by Christmas in terms of activities and thematic stuff and you know it's store like they just there's almost no regard for either of those two holidays which are both secular holidays not to mention mm-hmm. all of the other plethora of other religious holidays that just get pissed on by christians in like the most dramatic way when they lose their mind over Starbucks cups and ridiculous nonsense. (laughs) And like, I feel like Christmas time is, if they had any self-awareness, the Christian community would be absolutely embarrassed by how they behave during Christmas time, in my opinion. Um, and I don't mean that like every single Christian person. I, I mean, you know, like the, the American Christian kind of norm, you know, like the people, you know, who I'm talking about, right? Um, obviously not all of them. I know I, <laughs> sure, I sure. always have to fucking say that because if I don't, someone's going to be like, <laughs> well, not all of them, Andy. And I fucking know. I fucking know. It's a generalization. I know that it's a generalization because I'm the one who general. Anyway, hi guys. I'm in a great mood tonight. I think we've, we, I, I think feel like we've been some places in this opening <laughs> segment. Like mm. this has gone somewhere. Oh Lord. Oh, yeah. Baby. I, I feel like we can all, I, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I think in general, blank, blanket statements are dumb. And so, you right. see, even uh-huh. there, I had to say, in general. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, at any rate, I actually kind of forgot how we got on to this, but I think it was How was your week, Andy? And my week was fine. I don't know. I mean, it's just, I, I work. I have, um, so... And it's not really anything that has happened, but it's something that's going to be happening is that Caitlin and I have started doing some, you know, house shopping and we're looking to hopefully buy a house in the spring. Hey, uh, are you looking in your general area? Yeah, yeah, awesome. east side suburbs. Nice. Hell yeah. Well, congratulations. That's great. <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, I don't know if, and I, uh, real quick, I guess on that, I get, I'll go ahead and throw this out there. If, especially if any listeners are, are interested, I've been thinking about putting together an episode on like a housing market and, and a lot of the crises and, and a lot of the things that are affecting the housing market, um, especially of late. And I, I would not, I might be interested in, you know, since I'm going to be going through it firsthand, um, I think that might, be an interesting insight but if any listeners have anything um you know on that that you'd like to to know about um shoot us an email be the dead source at gmail.com and let me know and i'll you know I'll, I'll, I'll do some digging well and it it was also my birthday last week which is fitting because uh i got the greatest gift of all which was a full acquittal on all charges for our boy <laughs> Kyle Rittenhouse, Pat will see you at the next it, MAGA rally. Yeah, it truly was a November miracle. I know, right? I'm super pumped. Aren't you guys happy that justice was finally served in America? I tell you what, I am looking. I, I hope that uh, someone, uh, uh, you know, has to self-defense Kyle Rittenhouse in the street next. Uh, you joke about that, but that's a real thing that could happen. Yeah, no, I'm not joking. Okay. Well, well, I mean, I'm. So I'm ha, you, ha, 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 ha. you, you should be. It's an, it's an awful thing to say. Uh, because here's the thing: 
he's a child. Yeah, or certainly was when this happened. Nope. He was a child when this happened. When he, and well, so and he, was, in general, he was found innocent by a jury of his peers. That's that's nothing. I don't care about that. But he is a okay. child. That's the that's the thing. Well we'll get we'll get into all of this. Why don't we go ahead and talk about hey, what happened? Sure. So we we did talk about this a little bit um in a previous episode, but in brief um, there was a Black Lives Matter rally that was happening in Kenosha over the unjustified shooting of Jacob Blake. Um, he wound up being paralyzed, and I think he was shot seven times in the back uh, while getting into his car, clearly not posing the kind of lethal threat that required seven shots to the back. Um, but anyway, so there were these Black Lives Matter uh rallies protests that were going on in Kenosha and um apparently Kyle Rittenhouse uh approached a car dealer so um, he worked in Kenosha he doesn't live in Kenosha he lives right across the Indiana Wisconsin border in Antioch uh, Illinois. Illinois. I'm sorry. Did I say Indiana? Uh, yeah, Illinois. Illinois. He lives in Antioch, Illinois. Uh, but he works as a lifeguard in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is a, like a few minutes away. It's they're very close towns. From and from he what I was understand, staying with from what I understand, friend. he he works in Kenosha County, right? Uh, from sorry. what I've heard, so not it, it's not the same thing. This is one thing that's been frustrating is trying to get an idea of like where. Uh, like where the incident happened versus where these places are, because right. the Rittenhouse defense has been trying to pretend like he lives right on top of where this happened. Well, so, so here's the thing: is I mean, he, he lives in Antioch with his mother, but his father lives in Kenosha, um, and he was staying in Kenosha with his friend. So, um, I mean, no, that's you know his. His home is like a couple towns over, you know, like, um, probably, I, I think I've heard 15 to 20 minutes drive away, maybe half hour. I don't okay. know. It's not like, it's not like hours apart, but they're also about 25 aren't... minutes from what I've heard. Yeah. So there you go. So, so like, um, he was not, you know, it's, yeah, he was sort of an out of towner, but not really. And, um, he was uh there he had, he went that the uh he went one morning after um after the one of the nights of the riots and was cleaning up some graffiti with his friend that he was staying with which like cool great which is great all right good for you right cool. i i don't want to take an, i don't want to take that away from him um they i guess encountered some car dealership that had gotten uh, like i guess some of the cars on the lot had gotten gotten set on fire in the riots of the night before and and whole i don't mean to sound down, like oh was it yeah. yeah i don't mean to sound like tucker carlson here but the you you know we, they were protests that turned into riots um that now, were here's what i will say serious is, i Not, i don't ex i don't accept that um i I do think it's unfortunate when businesses burn down. I 
I also don't don't care that much. Uh, call that my hot take or whatever. Ooh, hot take. But yeah. I don't I don't really care. Like the the difference between property damaged and lives lost is it's nothing. There's no there's no comparison to be made. And like the the <laughs> penalty for having burnt down something should not be you get to be murdered willy nilly. I think we can all agree on that. Right. Um, but having said that, having that said that, that makes it sound like like Kyle Rittenhouse formed a posse to go find the mfers who burned down the car lot and lynch them. That's not what happened. Like, well, well, that, I mean, and and he was on the his thing own. is also like you not caring about property damage doesn't mean that that protest didn't turn into a riot. It does mean that it didn't turn into a riot. That very few people in that protest did any of that stuff, and. I have yet to hear anybody give me a single name of the people who were involved. Here's the thing that no liberal, no Democrat, nobody is calling for that that I've heard of. I'm sure there are some like people who are far out there. No one's asking for those people to be let off. No one like go ahead and go find the people who burnt those places down and arrest them. It'd be great if the police could actually do their job. Instead of shooting at protesters, that would be great. So, the, so the police is, were intentionally not there that night, and the reason that they were intentionally not there was because the entire reason for the rioting and the protest was the shooting of Jacob Blake. So, mm-hmm. the police didn't want to show up that night, probably for good reason, and they basically barricaded themselves into the police precinct because they. In order to not murder people, they have to barricade themselves into their precinct. That's what <laughs> well, it takes th- to keep police from uh, murdering I mean, people. So Kyle meets this is- car dealership <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, uh, decides that what he wants to do is, um, for the further protests that would be going on, he wanted to, uh, with an armed group of friends, go defend the car source. Right, um, so this is where is a he loses me. Choice. <laughs> like, no, that's you car, are now. Car source, that, why, car source, why are you hiring children to defend your place? That's well, not a I, good idea. I, I don't believe that he was hired. I think they volunteered to do this, but in any case, and ostensibly anyway, he either he lied about or he just didn't disclose his age or something like that, or there was some sort of sketchiness about. That they, the car dealer thought that they were all adults. Um, so we did skip a pretty important detail of him uh, making comments. I think it was the day before um, he saw some of these people rioting. Um, one of them standing on top of a car. And he uh-huh. made a comment to his friend. Um, I wish I had my AR on me right now. Uh, and something to the effect of I would shoot a few rounds I would start shooting a few rounds at them. So that's an important that's not, detail that we'll come back to later. That's not great. No, right. it's not the best. And and what I'm having trouble figuring out is, uh, because I think it's important, is where was this car source dealership that they were supposed to be protecting in relation to where he eventually ended up? Because I think if if he could see it from there, that makes sense. But... It certainly doesn't seem where this happened had anything to do with CarSource. 
And welcome back to Fact Check. Okay, two things real quick. First of all, the location of the car source dealership that Kyle Rittenhouse claims that he was asked to protect, that was only 0.2 miles or a little less than two blocks away from where the shootings happened. So that part of it checks out. There is one small problem, though. During the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, the sons of the owner of the car source dealership said under oath that no one had asked any armed people to protect their properties during that time. So, what was he doing there? Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. So to fast forward a little bit, um, we get to the night of the shooting. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse is with a group of people at the car source. Um, he is, according to his testimony, uh, offering first aid to people in the crowd of protesters. Um, one of which said, uh, basically threatened his life, said, uh, you know, if I catch you alone, I'm going to kill you. Um, now I do want to be clear on both these points. This comes from Mr. Rittenhouse's testimony and no other, no other places. And and the person in question here was was Rosen Rosen Rosenbaum, right? Yeah, Rosenbaum. Well, Rosenbaum is on tape uh, saying "f u n fun." Oh, and oh, yeah. You're not going to no. do no. For the record, I, just a quick inter interjection here, uh, because during the trial, Kyle Rittenhouse's defense attorney, when quoting what Pat just referred to there did not abbreviate either the F-word nor the N-word. He used the N-word twice. Said So that's fun. Didn't say the didn't say quote the N-word. He said the the N-word, the word you're not supposed to say. Uh twice in court, this <laughs> guy. And I like I get that you're quoting, but like you should not that's so not cool. Like it was clearly signaling what type of environment this trial was going to be. But a lot of this stuff is on tape. Like, it, it's on tape Rosenbaum being extremely aggressive, being the, the first yeah. person in the crowd to get into the uh, armed right-wingers' faces collectively. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that is a matter of record. So at some point in the night, um, Kyle gets separated from the rest of his friends, uh, and he is no longer at the car source parking lot. Um, I believe he was trying to put out a dumpster fire with a fire extinguisher um, and uh, at a gas station. And, and from what I understand, that that dumpster was rolling like it... It had been lit on fire and then pushed, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so at some point he is isolated and on his own, and uh, he's approached by Rosenbaum, and uh, there's a subsequent chase. Uh, Rosenbaum throws a bag of, a plastic bag of clothes at him, uh, which is not a very effective weapon, and... Uh, <laughs> After, in case you were wondering, after chasing Rittenhouse for about a, a half of a block, um, Rittenhouse hears a shot from about a hundred yards away behind him um, that was seemingly unrelated. 
um, turns around and uh, shoots Rosenbaum. Um, there is a little bit of discrepancy as to whether Rosenbaum was, was lunging for his gun or not, um, but be that right. as it may. They certainly claim that he was. Shot Rosenbaum four times. Um, all of a sudden, everyone in the crowd is talking about, like, there's an active shooter, there's an active shooter. Um, a big group of people started following him, and uh, there was essentially a mob of people chasing him as he was approaching police lines. Um, he trips... Well... Do do you want to do you want to get be clear some that, in there? So, I kind of resent uh, the use of the word "mob." That is, that is a, a word that is specifically used by the same the same thing about only referring to people who were there as rioters instead of protesters. So, a group surrounded him because he just murdered a dude. Having said that, I think that the prosecution did a good job on this and i am certainly willing to have my mind changed but the thing is rosenbaum did he was at a blm protest and used the n-word multiple times uh that's not great uh he i believe was caught on video lighting porta potties on fire i get the impression that rosenbaum may have had some problems and it also seemed from what i've seen that Rosenbaum was incredibly aggressive with a kid who had an AR-15 strapped to them. Right. So, not a good idea on Rosenbaum's part. Um, but he he chased him down, from what I understand, and then, according to Rittenhouse, grabbed for the gun. I have not seen that on, on video yet, um, but... I think that is worth noting, and it's ugh, it's borderline on that. Like, if someone's chasing you down, I I don't know what the the right move would be not to have been there in the first place. But um, I I can't say that uh, Rosenbaum's mental issues didn't have a huge effect on what happened here. So we get to Kyle tripping and on the ground, and this group of people uh surrounding him um one of them uh jump kicks him and another one tries to hit him in the head with a skateboard and he claims reach for his gun this is actually very well documented on video that you can see um so we don't have to rely on my testimony that he reached for the gun we can just look at the facts of that um mm -hmm. and in that altercation, uh, Rittenhouse shot two more people, uh, shot three more people, killing two of them and shooting one of them in the arm, uh, severing his bicep. So. Yeah, it was three people all together, right? Well, and he took two shots at a fourth person and missed twice. Here's where I'm having trouble with this, because I think... Rittenhouse, and I, I don't know when we want to get into this, but I think Rittenhouse uh, holds a lot of blame for this situation, but I also think it's more complicated than people have been making it out to be. Uh, you have a gentleman run after uh, Rittenhouse when he has a gun, and 
either attempt to take the gun or not and is shot to death. Well, I... You have a second... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think it boils down very simply. Um, because, like, let's paint the worst possible picture of Kyle Rittenhouse having showed up there, um, decided that he wanted to kill a protester, has been thinking about it all of his life, and finally gets the opportunity to shoot sure. a protester. Even painting the worst possible picture of Kyle Rittenhouse showing up at that riot or at that protest, um, that doesn't negate your ability to defend yourself. When you're when you're looking at somebody who is like mentally unhinged and chasing you, even an unarmed person chasing down a person with an assault rifle, and you can't escape, and that person has said several times that they're going to kill you. Like, I think this is the the cleanest well, cut. Again, according to I him. I think this is the cleanest self-defense case that we've ever seen. Like, I, I don't think that you have... If you're going to argue that this is not self-defense, I don't think anything is self-defense. I'm pretty sure only one of the people that he shot was armed with a... had a gun. Okay, so let's... Let's just really cleanly break this down, and if you guys disagree with, with something I've said, go ahead and tell me. But I think there are three things that happen that are important to know that make this more complicated than some people want to make it out to be on on sure. either side. Uh, they're good. They're good people on both sides, as I always say. <laughs> anyway, uh, number one, Rosenbaum runs after him. I don't think anyone's like saying that didn't happen. Rosenbaum runs after Rittenhouse and may or may not try to attack him. I I have not seen that piece of video. I will make sure that we fact check the shit out of this episode so people will know. But Rosenbaum goes after him and is shot to death. Maybe that's murder. Maybe that's self-defense. That's for people to decide. But after that... Uh, Huber, right? Huber yeah. has a skateboard and Rittenhouse says he's backing up and he's trying to get to the cops. Maybe that's true and maybe it's not, but that's what we have to go with. He's backing up and a group of people, not a mob as some people have called them, but a group of people who's concerned that someone's shooting people has gathered around him and he feels unsafe, probably reasonably so. And then Huber... I believe we can't talk to him because he's dead. Huber comes in and attacks Rittenhouse with a skateboard. Yep. I think reasonably thinking that you have an active shooter in this situation and trying to stop him. We don't know that for sure. Maybe he just like wanted to cause trouble, but it seems like a reasonable guess. And then Rittenhouse fires on Huber. During that time, Grosskreutz... Uh, has heard that there's a commotion. People are yelling things along the lines of he's killing them. He's shooting them. And Grosskreutz is a, a his name is Gage Grosskreutz. I'm going to call him Gage because I think that's easier than Grosskreutz. Sure. Gage comes running in, uh, a veteran of a bunch of different protests, uh, a medic. He, he apparently knows how to handle himself, comes in and is armed. When he sees Rittenhouse, he tells people that he thought he was going to die, so he puts his hands up. Immediately puts his hands up, 
and stop short to which Rittenhouse engages a, I, I believe, so this is what Grosskreutz said. He said that Rittenhouse had re-racked another round in the gun. I don't know how much Grosskreutz know, knows about the gun that Rittenhouse had. I don't know if that's an accurate statement. But from Gage's point of view, he's put his hands up and uh, Rittenhouse's response was to try and shoot him. And so he pulls out his gun and aims it at uh, Rittenhouse before Rittenhouse fires. And where did you say he hit him? In the bicep. Bicep. Hits him in the bicep. Uh, but Gage does survive. And apparently Rittenhouse is able to go to the cops, says, hey, I want to turn myself in. And they say, go on home. So they they apparently don't let him turn himself in, which is maybe true or not. But if you take those three incidents together, you can see how, I mean, Rosenbaum approaching him and him killing him looks a certain way to Huber, who tries to save other people in the crowd by attacking this man, to whom uh, Grosskreutz comes in and tries to stop an active shooter. So like these these things sort of make sense if you put them together like that. At least that's the way the prosecution put it together. The, sorry, that's the way the defense put it together. Right, right, right. It's, and I think it's important to understand that in terms of the self-defense law in, in Wisconsin, um, there's, and I, uh, there's, there's a lot of nuances to it. Actually, would, maybe this is a good time to, to turn our attention to the actual trial itself since we I mean, yeah, so I, I had a quick clarification. So, um, this, this is a little bit controversial by its very nature. Um, Gage Grosskreutz testified in court that he pointed his gun at Kyle Rittenhouse before Kyle Rittenhouse shot him. Um, and then I believe after the trial, um, said to media outlets, that um he didn't think that that was the case uh and i'm not sure why he testified to that huh. in court um if he didn't believe that that was the case um but uh yeah so racking the slide um is is one account of things um rittenhouse described it in his interview with tucker carlson that um he he saw part of his gun was uh sticking out and that he just fixed it um which uh boy it it sure did seem like a lie but maybe he's telling the truth i don't know but having said that i think is it common for a part of a gun to just stick out uh let me let me clarify that let me just look up the uh the part of the gun because it's it's a thing that can happen it's uh the ejection. Um, there was there was a uh, a I guess a casing that was sticking out of his ejection port, and he cleared it. Mm. Something right. to that effect. And I think all all that needs to be proved here is that Grosskreutz felt like he was in danger. He had he had tried to surrender, and in uh, in response to that, Rittenhouse had done a thing that made him think that he was going to shoot him. And so he raised his gun to defend himself or to shoot him or 
do whatever. But yes, he definitely did aim his gun at the person who was getting ready from his perspective to shoot him. Uh, from from Grosskreutz's uh, testimony, it seemed pretty reasonable, especially considering that Rittenhouse had already killed two people and that he didn't really know what the situation was around that, and he was being shouted at the crowd, he killed them, he killed them. So an important part of the uh, trial of Gage Grosskreutz that would have possibly taken place had he shot and killed Kyle Rittenhouse, and we had a completely different mm-hmm. conversation about this, um, part of his... Uh, part of the deliberations about whether or not he was acting in self-defense would be the fact that he chased down Kyle Rittenhouse. That Kyle Rittenhouse was running from this crowd of people, a mob of people, and mm-hmm. that Gage Grosskreutz, like, literally gained I... ground on him and caught up to him before pointing you, a gun at him. You accidentally mispronounced crowd as mob again, just to throw that out. Clear, Clearly a mob. Uh, crowd. It's a crowd. But go ahead. So, so do, do we have a definition for, that we can go off of to get a, a decision on on what what to call? It? Well, how many people were there, and and what classifies as a mob versus a crowd? I think it's violent intent, and I think that when a group <laughs> of people are chasing you, and that group of people um, clearly has violent intent against your person, uh. I would call that a mob. I mean, uh, you can well, do that, but it's not it's not accurate because those people were going after somebody <laughs> who had just shot two people. So that that mob or crowd as one could accurately describe it were acting in self-defense at worst. A large crowd of people, especially one that is disorderly and intent on causing trouble or violence, uh, to crowd around someone in an unruly and excitable way in order to admire or attack them. So, what, what if we call them a posse? What if we call them a crowd, which would be accurate? Because I haven't heard of anyone that has been able to did that did that crowd get together and be like, "All right, we're going to attack this guy." And I, like, did the, like how do we judge what their intent was? Uh, yes, cannot. maybe a gang. They they were yelling, "Kill him." Well, who's they? Get them. I mean, because... People like, in the mob. The gang. Right. Some some people. So those people that, like, again, like, the, the actions of a single person or a few people do not dictate everyone's actions. I, I don't want to get stuck on this, but, like, I, okay, I cool. feel like your, your definition, like, you would never allow any group of people to be called a mob if you didn't want to. Like, you're going you're gonna to pick out individuals and say, like, oh, that individual in this group was intent on violence that doesn't speak for the whole group right i would agree (laughs) with that sure then then nothing is ever a mob i'm just saying like the so we we can talk about this but the the word rioter and specifically rioters and the word mob are used specifically to make individuals who showed up for a protest seem like violent thugs that you don't have to give a shit about and there's nothing about this situation that indicates that. I mean, what these people saw was him shoot two people dead, and they didn't want that to continue happening. So I think this is a great transition to another important detail of the case, which is that the judge 
would not allow the people that Kyle Rittenhouse shot to be called victims, but he would allow them to be called rioters or looters or arsonists. Well, right. He was that a real is a bad misrepresentation. Judge. And this is all right. Hold on. We need to back up because this is first of all, that is a good transition to that. But before we do that, I think it's time for us to introduce really quickly our, our, our legal expert here. Sure. Uh, what I want to do, uh, to, to help us tackle some of these technical legal issues is call in a friend of mine who practices law in Chicago. Um, but also, you know, a lot of, uh, like I say, it's very, very close to Antioch. It's a suburb of Chicago and, uh, it's all very close to Wisconsin border and stuff. So she knows a lot of this stuff deals a lot with the Wisconsin law. So, um, her name is Carrie. She's a friend of mine from college and I'm going to let her introduce herself with her credentials here. My name is Carrie Winteregg. I have been an attorney for 10 years. I'm currently at the law firm of Kleinthorpe and Jenkins. I am what's called a litigator, so I only do courtroom type of cases, I guess. So I've done everything you could think of, quasi-criminal, which means I've worked for cities and towns, prosecuting tickets, things like that. I do a lot of what's called uh, not just quasi-criminal, but sort of criminal adjacent, I guess, for a long time, I would have clients who would be charged with a crime and I would deal with the civil side of it. You know, I had a realtor accused of fraud. I would go to defend him in front of the realtor's board, that sort of thing. I've also done quite a bit of what's called insurance defense uh, with catastrophic insurance. So people lose a limb, lose an eye, there's a lawsuit. I've been involved with those. And right now, most of my practice um, deals with police cases. And that's where part of my expertise in criminal comes in, because with police cases, prosecution cases, we're looking at, did the prosecutors charge correctly? Did the police officers um, arrest them correctly? Did they charge them with the right uh, crimes? Did they treat them properly? Did they correctly collect evidence? So there's there's quite a bit linked into it. So. One of the things that I talked about with Carrie, which actually this specific thing that you just brought up, Pat, was the whole reason uh, that that I, I there was something I posted an article on Facebook from NPR and she commented on it saying, say, just talking a little bit about it from a lawyer's perspective. And um, I, I think that this is really important to understand. Um, so I want to play for you what she had to say about. Uh, the words that you can use in, in court, basically, and the way that, that this was done in this trial. You know, I think a big thing, especially with the, the word victim not being allowed to be used, and this is something I want people to understand, is that that is a very normal motion for defense counsel to bring, particularly in a case where self-defense is the key. The reason it's normal to bring those motions is that you don't want to walk into the courtroom presupposing and assuming that a crime happened because the minute those jurors walk in and they think, well, a crime already happened, the self-defense uh, issue is gone. They're victims. He did it. He meant to do it. And that's not what's at issue here. I understand a lot of people are upset about it. I think there's a very human visceral reaction because we have video of it because everybody's seen these videos. But you have to remember when you walk into the courtroom, we're trying to get the slate as clean as possible. We are trying to get a group of jurors. We're trying to present a case that isn't 
prejudicial one way or another. When I say prejudicial, I'm talking about that's going to swing the jury one way or another that shows that the court prefers one side or another. It was absolutely proper for the judge to grant that motion and say you cannot refer to them as victims. From what I understand, this is actually something, a motion that the judge regularly grants. So it's a perfectly normal thing. You know, I think it's interesting seeing the defense attorneys I know because they're like, yeah, this is part of his rights. This is a part of his ability to present a defense. This is a very normal thing to happen. The issue, I think, broader for criminal defense attorneys is, well, why isn't my client allowed to get that? Why isn't this being allowed evenly across the country? It's up to the judge. That's what the answer is. But it is a very normal thing to happen. This happens in many, many cases, in murder cases, abuse cases, where you cannot refer to the person who was harmed as a victim. You know, and I think for people who aren't in law, it's incredibly difficult to see because we've seen what's happened. It is emotionally charged. But when we bring that jury in, we want to try to present them a case that is even. We want to try to present them a case that doesn't influence them one way or another. Language is incredibly important when we're in a courtroom. What we can say, words we can use, phrases we can use, those are limited very regularly. So this was a very normal and honestly expected ruling, I think, for most criminal defense attorneys for him to say you cannot call them the victim. There's two things that I guess I'm taking away here. One is it's really about the sterility of the courtroom, thinking about it like we need to we need a clean slate jury with as little bias as possible heading into it. The other thing is, I think, I mean, as a not lawyer, where I keep getting hung up with on this is the question isn't really about whether or not Kyle killed these two people. We know that that happened and shot a third. Right. Those are those are not facts in dispute at all. But using the term victim specifically in the courtroom, in the trial, implies that they were victims of murder rather than just victims of an incident. Parsing out the like the legal term of victim in the context of a murder trial versus the colloquial victim term victim. Is is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, yes, that is. That is. Okay. So it's it's you know, using the term victim, it would then indicate to the jury that he committed a crime. And the issue, the real issue here is were his actions an actual crime within within the realm of the law? Did what he did, was it criminal or was he justified in doing what he did? So when you use the word victim, you're then implying that there was a crime. Okay. That's correct. And and just one other kind of, I guess, piggyback on that, because the judge, I believe, also ruled the same for using the term alleged victim, right? So even even kind of hinting that they may be the victim of a crime was was a no-go. Right. Okay. Lawyers love the word alleged. I, I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I use it. Uh, and then for the rioters and looters. So with the rioters and looters language, uh, one of the things, and this is, I saw in several articles, and I, I don't think journalists did a great job of explaining this to the broader public. The defense attorneys were not allowed to refer to 
the victims, I'm going to say victims because I'm <laughs> in the courtroom, um, they weren't allowed to call them rioters and looters throughout the whole trial. And I think oh, yeah. that was sort of the impression that the media was getting. That's not what happened. What happened is the judge made a very specific ruling. He said that the defense can use those words only in their closings and only if the defense presented evidence in court that supported the use of those words. So they had to do like a whole sidebar case to prove that just so that they could use those words if they wanted to. Correct. And that uh, um, is probably part of the discussion that will happen today with the lawyers and the, and the judge is, did did they present enough evidence, uh, whether it be through testimony, through videos, to be allowed to use the words rioters and looters? Um you know, I, I wasn't in the courtroom. I didn't see what the pretrial decision actually was. My guess is, is they might even be allowed to parse it out that they can call one of the shooting victims a rioter, but they might not be allowed to call another one a rioter, depending on the situation. Um, I think especially with Grosskreutz, uh, the victim who survived, um, because he was there as a medic. He wasn't there um, protesting, he actually came as a medic and brought the gun for protection and he testified to that. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to see if they're allowed to use those words in that context for him. Um, so it, you know, I think, I think with a lot of it is the media knows this is a very highly charged case. So they can pop these headlines up and you're going to see a lot of outrage without a lot of explanation about what it actually means and how it actually comes about. And I would also note that the reason they're allowed to use those words or could potentially be allowed to use those words is it's part of the self-defense um, defense that he's using. And we want criminal defendants to have sort of a wide latitude in what they're allowed to say and, and what they're allowed to present, because especially here, this kid is looking at prison for the rest of his life. I thought that was incredibly helpful. That's, that was great. You know, I think that Carrie does a really nice job of explaining why it is actually kind of, I mean, important that, uh, that as a defendant, they're able to, to make those cases for the, for the language that's used because they have to influence these jurors and they need the jurors to have a clean slate. I think something that Carrie kind of mentioned a little tangentially in there is that a broader issue with such a thing is that these motions, like the one to, to not have the word victim used, <clears throat> that those motions are not universally granted to all defendants who may, even though it may be, uh, instrumental to their case. And, um, I don't know if we can find anything enough to, he actually fact check this or not i'll certainly do some digging myself <laughs> but i wonder if there you know if the disparity of when they're granted those motions and when they're not has anything to do with race fact check fact check and welcome back to fact check it's hard to come up with statistics on how defendants are treated during their trials in terms of leeway given to one person over another based on race. But here's a few things to think about from the Sentencing Project report on racial disparities in the U.S. criminal justice system to the United Nations. African Americans are 5.9 times more likely to be incarcerated than whites. Hispanics are 3.1 times more likely 
and both are likely to experience lengthy prison sentences compared to whites. African Americans and Latinos make up 29% of the U.S. population, but make up 59% of the U.S. prison population. Prosecutors are more likely to charge people of color with crimes that carry heavier sentences than whites. For example, African Americans are charged twice as often with crimes that carry mandatory minimum sentences. As of 2001, one in three African American boys could expect to go to prison in his lifetime. One of every six Latinos could expect to go to prison in his lifetime, and one in every 17 white boys could expect to go to prison. This is a tiny fraction of what the report says, let alone all of the other data out there about this. There's no question that before, during, and after trial, there are different justice systems for those with resources and those without. But, according to the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, the trial penalty or the fact that most cases that involved lower-income suspects, especially those of color, tend to be pushed into plea deals before a trial even happens. Yeah, that's a whole other issue that we may need to talk about some other time, but it seemed related. As always, all of the terrible, terrible details that you should read for yourself are available in the doobly-doo. Anyways, let's get back to the show. Right, so yeah. anyway. I, I gave kind of the like tabloid headline earlier of um, them not being allowed to be called victims, but being allowed to be called rioters and looters. Clearly, it's uh, it's more uh, dependent on whether the prosecution takes the time and then actually succeeds in making the case for that. And, I mean, using the word victim is out completely because... Um, because that's what you're there to determine if, you know, if there was a legal victim. And, you know, this is one of those really tricky things. And I think Nathan and I are on one side of this line and Pat's on the other right now. Um, about, um, legal culpability versus moral culpability. Mm -hmm. And like, he may have managed to thread a legal needle. Uh, and we'll go over what the charges are, and, and Carrie has some interesting insights into those uh, that I want to share with you guys in a minute as well. I think it's kind of surprising, based on what Carrie told me, that he that they were able to actually succeed in mounting the defense. But he may have succeeded in threading that needle. That does not change what what he did. We all know happened. He may not bear a legal culpability or responsibility, but he does bear a moral one. But that's not for me to, to administer. It's not for me to administer. I know I said earlier, you know, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. I'm done. No, I'm, I'm sure we're going to like <laughs> jump into Andy's point here in just a second, but I didn't want to say I have zero problem with this. I think as long as the, I think the, Victim versus rioter, looter thing makes for a great headline. And I think digging, mm -hmm. putting in a dig against the media on not having explained that well is totally valid. And I have no problem with them not using the word victim based on the situation that Carrie described. Good get, by the way, uh, uh, Andy. Uh, Carrie was a really great person to bring in on some of these things, so... Thanks, Carrie. Yeah, Carrie's very, very knowledgeable, very clear and articulate, and um, 
she's actually been uh, just to drop a little teaser in here she has uh there's something else that was on her mind that she would like to come back on to talk with us in person for a full-length episode about um with another legal situation going on the so marvel just cinematic a little teaser universe. we're gonna get that lined up <laughs> yeah mm, no nope. no um <laughs> but at any rate um so i teased this a second ago and i think may, why don't we just go ahead and do this um carrie laid out for me in in excellent detail the uh the the six charges that were brought against kyle rittenhouse and um i think it's worth just hearing those and understanding those uh in in especially carrie like i say carrie laid them out in in just a very very well so let's let's cue that he has six charges five of which are felonies and one is a misdemeanor so the first is first degree reckless homicide of rosenbaum uh, when we look at reckless first reckless homicide, we're looking at utter disregard for human life, and those actions cause their death. Uh, the prosecution here actually does not have to show intent to kill. It's just that their actions were so reckless that it shows that they didn't care if someone died or not. Um, it's a felony, and the prison sentence is up to 60 years. So the second charge is first degree reckless endangering of safety. So it's sort of like the, the reckless homicide, <clears throat> except you didn't cause anyone's death. And it's that you, again, were just acting so recklessly. You were acting without any care for whether or not you hurt someone. In this specific case, th these are actually two of his charges um, against a victim whose last name is McGinnis and an unknown male. And the reason they charged with the unknown male is it was actually in a video. And these are for shots fired. Rittenhouse took shots fired toward these people, but didn't hit them. Um, that is also a felony. It's a lesser felony. For each, he looks at 12 and a half years, plus a fine of up to $25,000. So we're probably to the most serious one. Um, then is going to be first degree intentional homicide. In other states, this would also be known as first-degree murder, and that is for the victim whose last name is Huber. I believe he was the one who had the skateboard. That is causing death with intent to kill, and in this particular case, there's very specific mitigating circumstances. We're talking about things, uh, you know, sort of the classic one we learn in law school is a husband walking out on a wife having sex with someone else. That's a very classic mitigating circumstances. So we look at sort of the context of it. Um, here he, I don't think he really has any mitigating circumstances. Um, this is a class A felony and it carries life in prison. I do want to note, I think the judge will allow the jury to consider lesser charges in particular with this one, because it is such a serious felony. It's actually better for the prosecution that they allow those lesser charges because if they can't, and it means they can't prove first degree intentional homicide, that charge is just gone. So the next one is attempted first degree homicide, and that is for uh, Grosskreutz, and he was actually one of the prosecution's witnesses. That's a class B felony with 60 years. You know, that one, that one I think is going to be tricky. I think if he gets a not guilty, that will be the one he gets the not guilty on because Grosskreutz actually testified that he pointed his own weapon at Rittenhouse before Rittenhouse fired at him. 
the last one is a misdemeanor. It's possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. So Wisconsin does have open carry laws, but you have to be 18 or over. This is uh, nine months in jail and or a fine of $10,000. Um, and there was actually one more charge, but it was dismissed. It was a misdemeanor uh, for being out after curfew. I do want to add with the five felonies that we talked about, uh, they do allow aggravating factors. So an aggravating factor means that if you're convicted of that particular felony, you have an automatic tack on to your sentence. And so in this case, it would be an automatic additional five years per felony if they're found that this aggravating factor happened. The aggravating factor here was um, the use, possession, or threat of a dangerous weapon. So, um, Carrie, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for Carrie and her opinion, but um, to say that there's no mitigating circumstances, like the example that she used of, uh, you know, a, a man walking in on his wife cheating on him, um, like, Huber hit Kyle Rittenhouse in the head with a skateboard. Like, if you're not going to call that self-defense i think that that is clearly a mitigating circumstance well so one of the things that we talked about and i'm not sure if i know this is somewhere in in some of the audio but i'm not sure where um so one of the things that carrie talked to me a little bit about was the um that there's a proportionality to Mm self-defense so if someone is attacking you with a skateboard then you can retaliate by attacking them with, say, like a pipe or golf a some, golf club yeah. or a baseball bat, right? Some some uh, other, some other sporting would, good, something proportional. If you get punched in the face, then it is not proportional for you to strike back by by you know uh, with a skateboard or a baseball bat. If you get all right, so and so being hit in the head with the skateboard is not proportional with shooting with a gun. <laughs> was murder what you're going for? I shooting was, with I'm, I'm 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 good. I'm good. <laughs> I was trying I'm trying to be good. So the thing is <laughs> the other proportional thing is that Huber just saw him murder a guy from from his perspective, just saw him just saw him kill somebody and didn't have the full context on what happened, and so was trying to protect the crowd, the same way the crowd was trying to protect each other by gathering around him. I'm sorry, are you talking about the mob? I am talking about the crowd. <laughs> sure, and 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 I'll grant that about the proportionality. If you can show me that nobody has ever been hit in the head with a skateboard and died in all of no, human history. Uh, well, that's not really how it works, no, though, that's... because uh, people have been punched in the head and died. But that's but the proportionality uh, would not cover shooting in response to being hit. It just wouldn't. So, like, that's not valid. I'm going to go ahead and take a, a big swing here, and I'm going to... With a, with a skateboard? I'm going to take ah. a big swing with a, a golf club, I think. Okay. But I am going to jump onto Pat's side here and say, legally, based on our current system of laws, from a purely legal standpoint, he's probably innocent. 
you know, based on what we based on what we heard, he's he's, he's probably legally innocent. So, congratulations, legally innocent Kyle Rittenhouse, and well, uh, your your I, technicality. Good job. I have bud. a little I have a little bit of contention in that. Another charge that she brought up was um, possession of a firearm and being under eighteen. Um, I think Kyle Rittenhouse is guilty up. of that. Actually, fun he is, but fun fact. But the yeah, based based on the way the law was cur- was initially written, he would have been guilty. But I believe two years ago, a Republican governor wrote in a uh, an exception that anything that is under sixteen, uh, any uh, I think the barrel has to be under sixteen inches uh, for it to be considered. Uh, illegal for someone under 18 to hold and because it had a longer barrel uh he was free to go so technicality way to Hmm. technically not be a murderer kyle rittenhouse well that wouldn't be making him a murderer that would just make him um illegally brandishing. no he's 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 technically not a murderer for the other stuff but he's he, he he technically was allowed to carry that weapon because of an exception written in by a Republican governor a couple of terms ago. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not like that was, it's not like it was named the Rittenhouse Clause or anything. So, you know, it is what it is. It's a loophole. Um, and, you know, listen, <laughs> OJ is technically not a <laughs> that murderer is exactly as well. It. Yeah, o- like, OJ. Okay, great. But we all. We all know. I mean, yeah, we yeah. all know that you murdered them, and there's nothing you can. I mean, short of like new evidence coming to light, there are over I, there are over a hundred videos gonna... of this thing happening. I I think I think we're good. We we know what happened, more or less. Um, and I think there's a, so here's here's how I feel about it. From a moral versus legal standpoint, um, there's been a meme going around this week. I'm sure you guys have seen it. Um, I, <laughs> it's it's essentially, oh no, I've jumped into this bear pit. I have to kill all the bears. Like if you put yourself yeah, in a situation right. where you have to defend yourself, you don't get to claim self defense. If you put yourself into a situation well, <laughs> where you purposefully wanted to be in that situation so that way you could and i'm using air quotes here pretty hard defend yourself from a moral standpoint no you you're a murderer i I, so i'm gonna say one more thing i think here's the thing i don't think in in the moment that rittenhouse wanted to kill those people i think what he had done is he had put himself in a shitty situation, he had decided, Pat, you talked about it before, he was looking at those people and saying, man, I wish I had my AR-15 so I could take some shots, like in the air, maybe at them, who knows. But he had decided that he wanted to be in a position where he could, like, exert power over these people, and then he put himself in a position to do it, and then found out, oh, shit, I'm a child, I don't know how to responsibly handle this weapon, and he acted in a way that was wildly irresponsible. And so, yeah, he's a murderer. He is also right now a piece of shit. Now, that doesn't mean that he has to be a piece of shit for the rest of his life, 
But as long as he's wearing around shirts that say free as fuck and throwing around like white power signs while he's hanging out with the Proud Boys, he's going to stay a piece of shit murderer. Maybe, maybe uh, in the future, me. maybe in the future, he's not going to want to be that person. And I want to give children the chance to like, we, we don't always feel the same way about actions that we take when we're younger, when we get older. And I want to like, I, I want to believe that sometime later on when he stops being a piece of shit, maybe you'll feel bad about this. But I feel like once you're a murderer, you get to stay a murderer. Once you're an alcoholic, you don't get to not be an alcoholic. It's something you have to struggle with for the rest of your life. So I I think he's going to be a murderer forever. Maybe he's not going to be a piece of shit forever, but right now he's both. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, calling him a, a, a piece of shit seems extreme. He does support Black Lives Matter, you know. No, no, it's bad. It's all very bad. <laughs> um no listen i think um you know i think you are absolutely right i or i should say i agree with you on a moral from a moral standpoint here on this uh i think that kyle pretty obviously uh, put it this way anytime you take up arms and go attend a protest or a rally or a riot or any like similar synonyms that you might want to use in there right any sort of event where there might be violence and you attend that event armed with specifically armed with a gun then as far as i'm like that's a a the self defense as a self defense waiver you don't get self-defense because you're there specifically, like, expecting or, like, you're specifically prepared for conflict. It's not the same as, like, when you take a concealed carry pistol to the movie theater because you don't know the next time someone might burst in to shoot up a movie theater. Like, you're not expecting that to happen like but it has happened before and you know that's a little different but when you attend an event like that with a firearm you've that is as far as i'm concerned on a moral level a waiver to claim self-defense you are taking responsibility for any harm injury or death you cause and um so as far as i'm concerned he's a murderer However, the law is not a moral thing. The law should not be about morals and morality. Because then the following question is, whose morals? And that is an impossible question to answer easily. So, when it comes, like, there is very specifically supposed to be a line between legal culpability and moral culpability. Sometimes they overlap, and or sometimes, you know, it comes out the same, and sometimes it doesn't. But they're not supposed to be one and the same, ever. <laughs> Boy, it would be nice, though, but sure. Um, If I can just hop in. Um, Please. So, I don't think that he is morally reprehensible in the same way that you guys do i think he's stupid i think that showing up in kenosha with a gun was a dumb 17 year old thing to do um mm -hmm. but at the same time like i'm not about to start embracing a precedent where if someone is armed 
and attending a rally, that that is a free license that you are able to fight that person. And as long as you win, then that makes it okay. Like, reaching for somebody's gun, tackling someone to the ground, hitting them in the head with a skateboard, that all of that stuff is justified for showing up at the wrong place at the wrong time, armed, like, I don't think that holds any water whatsoever. Just the fact that he has shown up does does not release you from responsibility to say, like, okay, now we can kill him because he's shown up with a gun. Like, that is ridiculous on its face, and I can't believe that you guys are trying to make that argument. I'm sorry, Nothing. I have no idea how you got <laughs> right. from what we said to, to Nobody that. did make that no argument. Clue. Can you please go back over that? Because there was some mag- magic wand waving going on. Okay, so for Kyle to have absolutely no recourse against somebody who has chased him for half a block and finally caught up with him and is reaching for his gun, Rosenbaum should have been allowed to fight Kyle Rittenhouse without any expectation of being shot. Was Rosenbaum armed? I forget. He was not Rosenbaum armed. was not armed. No. Oh. So he wasn't reaching for his gun. Reaching and for Rittenhouse's gun. We don't, we don't, oh, well, uh, that's what... Kyle Rittenhouse has a, a right to pull his gun away from him, to kick, punch, hit him with the gun, to do to retreat further, to do any number of things that would be proportional in response. You, you guys are... Shooting you guys him are, to death is not proportional in response. You guys are reinforcing Rosenbaum's right... To brawl, to have a brawl with Kyle Rittenhouse because he is armed with the expectation of not being shot. That is what you guys I, are doing. I don't think I did that. I I said that he was. Yeah, no. I I said that you're making stuff up. <laughs> no, my. Well, it's a straw man. It's a straw man. Is what it is. Okay. So, what I think is that I already agreed with you. I think uh, he he got off on a technicality. He's technically not not a murderer for doing that. But my. My beef is not with what how he reacted with Rosenbaum. I think Rosenbaum probably had a problem, um, many problems. It seems like having said that, if there wasn't somebody who was walking around with a big, uh, a giant prop gun, uh, so that they could seem like a badass, and that that was the thing that caused the problem in the first place. That, that is your legal right in Wisconsin to sure. open carry like that. Absolutely. I I thought we already we already established we don't give a shit about the law in this case. I already established legally well, he's oh, good to go. Okay. We're I, not talking I about say the that law. I don't give a shit about the law. What <laughs> I I but I would say <laughs> that like just because it's legal doesn't make it right, doesn't make it smart, doesn't make it okay. Right. Like I this is my problem like, with people it, it, this is my pro- problem with people always like bitching about their rights. Like uh, like of course you have the right to do it. But like you said he's a f-ing idiot. The thing that people miss about the thing about having rights is that you have responsibilities too. And so if you want to be an idiot, I guess that's your right, but there's going to be consequences of it. The consequences in this if case you, yeah, is like it, he's technically not a murderer, so congratulations. But I I'm not going to trust him to babysit anytime soon either. 
it it really seems like a moving goalpost to me because like you know if he had been convicted we would be having a very different conversation you guys still want to claim like oh he is morally reprehensible like i just don't happen to think so right i i feel like right now he's morally a murderer and i would have felt if he was convicted of being a murderer that he was also legally a murderer i don't know how that's inconsistent right. i think he's a murderer because we all issues, saw him murder some people and show up and irresponsibly handle a weapon that he had no reason having but legally he had a reason having it because of a governor 2 years ago and because it was longer than 16 inches pat i i want to be clear like i'm not there's not it's not that moral culpability overrides legal culpability in this case or any others necessarily they're two separate things they're two separate conversations did Kyle Rittenhouse break the law in doing what he did in killing those two people and shooting the other and, and firing his gun, et cetera, et cetera? Apparently not to the satisfaction of 12 of his, uh, you know, so-called peers. Um, you know, I, I say that just because, like, I am pretty sure it wasn't a jury of high schoolers, you know? <laughs> right. However, did Kyle Rittenhouse go out and put himself in a situation where he was likely to get into a conflict with someone and have an, uh, you know, a firearm at the ready in order to protect himself. Should that expected situation arise? I mean, it's like, but if you go to a, to a, a street fighting ring I don't know. That's a bad example, but I, it's, so, like, it's so hard. You to guys come are up trying with, to push. Like, I don't understand. You guys are trying to push it, the it, moral it, responsibility onto Kyle Rittenhouse for those confrontations when clearly yeah, Kyle no. Rittenhouse wasn't the one who decided to have those confrontations. You keep focusing on like the specific actual com- confrontations that even that that like you know once Kyle separated from the stuff, and we're trying to tell you that like. His responsibility came when he decided to go to the protests with a AR-15, I believe is what he had, uh, in the first place. So the moral reprehensibility that, that you are painting on Kyle Rittenhouse specifically... You're using the word reprehensibility. I think we're using the word responsibility. Sure. Mm. The moral responsibility that you're putting on Kyle Rittenhouse, you would say that everyone who showed up to Kenosha with a gun was committing the same breach of moral responsibility, whether or not they got into a conflict. Because what you're doing is you're isolating the actual incidents, and now you're just saying that anyone who showed up with a gun is equally culpable. Well, we actually, we super didn't say that. I mean, but potentially if they had gotten into conflicts, then yes, we'd be having the same conversation about them. But, like, that's my extrapolation then. If you're going to if you're going to say let's ignore the the fact that he was confronted then isn't that the same set of circumstances that all of his eight other friends showed up with guns are in are they also morally responsible Yeah they also shouldn't have done that yes That was also stupid of them it was equally stupid like everyone who shows up to a big violent protest with a gun is automatically asking, wrong is not asking for but is not 
automatically wrong, but they are taking a, a real risk um, that if they have that gun with them, they might have to use it. And if they use it, they might take someone's life. And that's on them for making those decisions to go to a violent place with a firearm or any other weapon. Like if you, if I show up to a protest and I don't have a gun, I am not uh, in a situation where I'm going to be taking anyone's life. <laughs> so, I think, yes, there there is a moral culpability for everybody in that crowd who had a gun. I do think there is a difference between a concealed handgun and what Kyle Rittenhouse did. Because here's the thing. When Kyle Rittenhouse showed up, he showed up with an AR-15, which is definitely a gun. And I think everybody in that crowd who had a gun had a responsibility to handle it properly. Uh, if anybody else had been irresponsible with a gun, be they under or over 18, they would have been responsible for that. I absolutely, absolutely agree with that. Having said that, we're talking about the year of the Don't Breathe protest. We are talking about a year where conservatives were showing off their open carries over and over and over again, where we have been dealing with mass shootings in this country in a way that no other country does. No other country. And it's become so common that we're just used to it. And so what this stupid young man decided to do was to show up with a big violent prop to a place where he frankly was not welcome. And we can argue whether he should have been welcome or not or whatever, but he decided to put himself in a position where he was by himself. He decided to put himself in a position where he looked like a threat, and then people decided to treat him as the threat that he dressed up as. I'm sorry if that doesn't work for him. I'm sorry if you want to, like, pretend like that isn't irresponsible, but it is. And so the irresponsibility was that he put himself in that position in the first place. If he had gone ahead and shown up with a fire extinguisher and tried to put out the fire in that dumpster with either a concealed weapon or no weapon at all, none of this would have happened. No one would have attacked him. Nothing would have happened. But he decided that that was the way he was going to handle this. So a couple things from, from me on this. Um, I want to, just from my own position, clarify that I... Um, I don't, I mean, I, I do, there, I think that that is a, dif a difference. Like he was brandishing this big gaudy looking gun, but I don't think in terms of like responsibility that that really makes that much of a difference. I think that that plays in that that's more to what Pat, you were saying that what is he, what is he responsible for? Like what I don't, I, I one, what I want to make clear here is just because I think that he was absolutely like, he made the wrong decision. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have been there with that gun. Um, you know, uh, do I, do I think that that you keep using, you kept using the word, uh, reprehensible and like, nah, that's not what I'm trying to say. I mean, I don't think that he's a scumbag necessarily for that. I think he's an idiot for that. I think he's a dumb kid who a, doesn't understand the social forces at play and everything that's going on. Because 
we don't get it fully and you know we've been talking about it for ever since um he he doesn't understand what his legal responsibility is in that situation right he doesn't he did not know the 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 charges that were going to get brought against him he doesn't he did not like think about if i engage with someone how do i make sure that i'm not legally culpable for anything he didn't think about that he didn't know that he never that never like and um he was just reacting he got scared he was in, in way over his head in a situation he really shouldn't have been in and he panicked and adrenaline kicked in and he did he reacted with the the tool he had on hand which was his deadly firearm and with no thought to like and 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 so here's the thing in terms of jury and legal whatever from a jury's perspective i honestly i cannot say that i think it's unreasonable for the jury to think that he genuinely was scared and panicked and thought that he was in danger for his life in all three cases all three incidents um i honestly i think that that's not wild i think it's a little bit naive maybe of the jury but i don't think that you know if you're looking at those those th- the the incidents that happened uh that that resulted in the murder or the death of those two people and and injury of the third like it seems to me pretty reasonable that Kyle Rittenhouse actually thought he was in serious danger there was a shot fired right before he turned around to shoot it at R- Rosenbaum i think right. if i remember yeah. correctly like there's there it seemed reasonable and so i'm not necessarily upset that he was found not guilty but i do think that he n- needs to think a lot about his decision to attend that rally with that gun and i don't think that he's i think that he's coming away with i made the right decision when and i wish that he would come away with Wow, I was, I thought I knew what I was getting into and I didn't and it resulted in two people's death and I, I, I want to avoid that type of situation ever again. Right. And I, I don't want to speak to what's going on in his head because I have no idea what's going on in his right. head, but I don't want establish, I don't want to establish a precedent where it's like, um, yeah, we are going to have this protest, we are going to have, you know, we're going to burn buildings, we're going to do whatever, and you better not show up with the with the wrong political alignment, and you better not show up clearly brandishing a weapon. I think he had every right to be there, which anyone else had, which is none of them should have been there. Nobody was supposed to be out in Kenosha that night. That's and... not how that's not how protests work. And again, I take umbrage with the idea that everybody showed up being like, let's burn some stuff. Like that's not a thing. It wasn't well it wasn't take... a riot. It, like, oh, it just few... it just accidentally happened. That's right. Okay. Right. A, a few individuals decided to make 
bad choices, and those individuals should be arrested and prosecuted. But it doesn't like affect everybody else that a few people made a, ba- a few bad choices. Well, and I, I, I just I want to clarify more directly to what Pat said. Like that's not this the position that I would take. What you just described, the position I would take is, um, just that you know this is a <laughs> there's a riot going on. There's a protest going on. Um, tension is high. People are feeling violent. If you show up with any sort of weapon, expect people to notice that and take it seriously. And I don't think that that's not fair, Pat. Do you think that that's unfair of me to say? No, I I think that that's perfectly reasonable for you to say. What I don't think is reasonable to say is that the act of showing up is already a moral wrong. The act of showing up with a open carry weapon that you are allowed to do in Wisconsin is already presupposing a moral wrong. I don't. I okay, don't. Okay, but so. again, so neither do I. You're the one using the term moral wrong. All I'm saying is expect someone to ooh, take it seriously. Ooh, I'm. I'm. Um, I'm gonna. So like, I'm, I'm not saying showing up to a rally with a gun is morally wrong. I'm saying if you show up to a rally with a gun, someone's probably going to see that, and it, things might go sideways, and you might have to. You might end up in a position where you have to use it to save your life, and you have to be ready with, for the consequences of that. Right. So on a moral level. Not on a legal level, first of all, and second of all, not on a not a moral wrong, just a are you ready for that moral burden? Sure. Uh, I don't think anybody should have a gun in those situations. Uh, I think when he showed up and the people that will definitely be doing this in the future now because they know they can legally get away with murder now will be showing up to these protests wearing their, like, Make America Great Again hats and uh, holding their assault rifles because they know that they can, and again, huge air quotes, protect themselves. Uh, they're going to show up with but- with bad intentions with the hope that they will be able to shoot people and legally hold no consequences at all. So, no. Fuck you if you want to go to one of these places and you want to have a gun because your intention is not, I want to exercise my freedoms. Your intention is to shoot people and legally hold no consequences because of it. And so that I, shit. So I think Pat, our, Pat, that's that Nathan, not me. That's Nathan. So I, I think our legal system is still going to continue to work as it's supposed to. If you are running from your assailants who have decided you know, that you're the one that they're going to chase for half of a buck and then, like, try and jump at you. Um, I think that you're you're going to be acquitted. I think that he, your he self-defense argument will be taken. But, but he already I killed think, a guy. I think it's important <laughs> to to point out that he he wasn't, like, running after having I'm done nothing. I'm still talking about Rosenbaum. Okay. Okay, but yeah. Any, but anyway, so... Um, I think that if people show up deciding that they are going to hunt down protesters, I think if people are, like, you know, seeking out people to shoot and then shooting them, I think the legal system is still going to work the way that it's intended to. It didn't this time. I mean... Like, that's what he did. 
and it didn't. So, uh, oh he well. Clearly, I... didn't hunt anyone down. He he did. He yeah, was there I'm in the first I'm place. I'm not on board with that. No, he, I. <laughs> yeah, by he was there in the first up, place. By, he was there to... by showing up, he was hunting people down. Got it. Yes. Okay. Yes. One hundred percent. Yes. Okay. You... I, this is. I feel like this is one of those weird episodes where, like, at the beginning, I I come in thinking I'm like going to side with Nathan, but then he just gets so radical and extreme and bizarre that I end up siding with Pat by the end of the episode. <laughs> So uh, let me um, kind of pump the brakes a little bit on on this discussion before it gets too hot. Um, and uh, so one of the things I also talked about with Carrie, and I think it's kind of relevant to this conversation, is um, what the duty to retreat is in in a s- situation. Because um, Pat, you, you're asking about, you know, well, this guy's attacking him. What's he supposed to do? And so I think that's a really good question, and Carrie had some insights, and uh, I want to just share them with you now. Uh, first thing to know about the duty to retreat is that is actually a state-by-state issue. So if you're in a bar and a guy comes up to you and he's being very aggressive and he's in your face and he's pulling his fist back, but there's no one behind you and you can actually walk out the door of the bar, you can actually leave in a state where it requires a duty to retreat, they require you to actually leave. Get out of there if someone's being aggressive toward you or whatever. If you have the opportunity to leave the situation, you can. The one exception being the castle doctrine, which is your home. Someone breaks in, you can kill them. That's pretty much how it goes. But generally, especially when you're out in public, if the duty to retreat means if you have an opportunity to remove yourself from the situation, you are expected to take that opportunity. Wisconsin does not impose that duty. However, the jury is allowed to consider whether or not they took the opportunity to retreat. So it is a consideration. You don't have to, but um, the jury can look at it and go, well, he could have walked away, you know, and the fact that he didn't. Um, what's interesting in Wisconsin, too, um, you don't get the benefit of the duty to retreat if you provoked the incident. So when I talk about the benefit of duty to retreat, So my example of the guy in the bar, someone's being aggressive, you try to walk away. That gives you a benefit and the guy grabs you. So you turn around and punch him in the face. Well, you have this benefit of the doubt. You tried to remove yourself from the situation. This guy kept going. This guy kept needling you. Um, If you are the one who provoked it, though, if you walked up to that guy first and started threatening him and then he pulls his fist back, you don't get the benefit of trying to walk away. You're the one who started it. That's a, that's a, honestly a big deal here because of provocation, because Kyle Rittenhouse is the one who went to another town that he doesn't live in. He actually physically crossed state lines to do so and was carrying around a weapon. I think what's interesting here is sort of when does that provocation turn off? It's kind of the question that we're looking at when he, he shows up, he's walking around with a gun He's, you know, he purposely crossed state lines to go into this place to do this. When is he no longer considered provoking the situation? And when does he become sort of uh, the one being hunted? When when does the hunter become the hunter? Um, but I think the main thing to to know about the duty to retreat is Wisconsin doesn't recognize it. And frankly, most open carry states don't recognize it because if they're going to let you carry your gun around, why would they tell you that you have to retreat? So respectfully again i very much value carrie's insight on 
this duty to retreat. Um, however, in Wisconsin law, um, provocation is affects self-defense if a person engages in unlawful conduct of a type likely to provoke others to attack him or her. It's specifically unlawful activity. Now, I mean, you might say, yeah, um, Kyle Rittenhouse was breaking the law by being there. He was disobeying curfew. He was not supposed to have the weapon. Um, he was underage. Um, but that unlawful activity is not the same as the provocation unless you're implying that the crowd knew or Rosenbaum knew that he was underage carrying that rifle. Um, it's lawful to have an open carry to be brandishing a rifle in Wisconsin. Like that requirement for provocation to apply to self-defense um, requires unlawful activity. And I don't think that this meets that requirement. To make to make Kyle uh, provoking these attacks. Well, uh, the jury agreed with you. Yeah, there you go. And I don't frankly care what the law says. This, I mean, I think the law clearly failed here. So, weren't weren't. And it's fine. I think I I agree with you. You probably didn't do anything illegal. I'm I'm sold on that piece of it. Okay, but but your concern is that that the law is insufficient. Yes, clearly, insanely so. And I like I'm not not even so worried about this incident. Like it's awful, but uh, the the copycats that will result be, uh, from it because they know they can get away with it now. Right. I mean, and again, <clears throat> like I said earlier, I feel like well, it doesn't matter. I already said it, so just kind of <laughs> all that. Uh, is there anything else we wanted to uh, listen to from Carrie? So, I think, you know, we, we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, as the trial drew to a close, there was one more kind of, I, I think, interesting wrinkle. There's there's a couple different things that happened. But one of the biggest things that happened that made the judge very angry at the prosecutor was the prosecutor actually brought up the fact that Rittenhouse um, invoked his Fifth Amendment right to remain silent while he was at the police station. Prosecutors absolutely cannot do that. It, we learned that the first week of law school. You cannot go into a criminal trial and say to the jury, well, he didn't talk to anyone because it goes back. There's an implication. If he didn't talk to the police, he must have done it. You're guilty. That's why you cannot bring that up in court. Hmm. That's actually why the defense attorneys, it's my, let me put it this way. I wasn't in the courtroom. It's my understanding that that is why the defense attorneys asked for a mistrial. They had to ask for a mistrial. That is an appealable issue. Even if he's convicted, I would put money on that being the main issue in the appeal that the prosecutor brought it up. And the prosecutor got ripped to shreds for it hmm. as he should have been. Now, where the defense, what the defense did, and I think this is probably what made the judge upset, is they asked for a mistrial with prejudice. So I'm going to explain what that means. 
there's with prejudice and without prejudice. When a case is dismissed without prejudice, it means you can bring it again. You can come back, you can refile the charges, you can bring the case again. Uh... With prejudice means it's done, kaput. <laughs> it's over. You can never ever try this again. You can never file charges again. So that might be, if, if you heard the judge was mad at the defense, that might be where it was. And I'll be honest, in some of this information I was also getting from criminal defense attorneys. So, uh, yeah. you know, it might be a little bit skewed, but I, I completely agree with them. That was not something the prosecutor should have done. Um, I'm baffled as to why, you know, this guy's been practicing for a really long time. Why would he do that? But it, it could be desperation. It could just be that the pressure of the trial is getting to him. And that's why he did it. Um, he also got in trouble because he tried to introduce evidence that the judge had not approved. Oh. Uh, with criminal trials, this is something that the public might not realize. With criminal trials, all the evidence that's presented, the judge has to approve it. The judge has to say ahead of time whether or not that's allowed to come in. Hold on now. Surprise witnesses are a known thing in every courtroom TV show. <laughs> How do you explain that? Uh, Law and order lied to you. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it can happen, but it's practically impossible. And you better have a darn good reason why that evidence or that witness was not on the list of things that you're going to present. Because we have to present both civil and criminal. We have to present lists. Here is all the evidence I'm going to present. Here are all the witnesses that I could potentially call. Um, you can't, you know, you can't just suddenly be like, oh, I'm going to talk about this thing that we haven't talked about the whole trial at the end of trial, because that's the other thing. This happened during the, the defense's uh, presentation. So you, you can't do stuff like that. And, um, you know, I don't know if this is, I don't know the prosecutor. Um, I don't know what his history is like. I do know that he's been a lawyer for quite a while. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just try things because sometimes you can't get away with it. Well, and sometimes you make mistakes too, you know? Exactly. He's also exactly. a human being. He's a human being who is under an enormous amount of stress right now. Um, and that that is something I, you know, especially for the people who want to come after the prosecutors, you know, I can say, I can't believe you did that, that sort of thing. But he is also under an, an amount of strain that I have never been under myself. I have never been in the national spotlight trying to try a case like this. So both the prosecutors in defense, I'll tell you, they're probably having a lot of sleepless nights. They are probably just under an enormous amount of pressure right now. Um, some people can handle it. Some people can't. Um, there, there's a lot to unpack. And there's also a lot of concern, I think, about how this trial pans out, because depending on the verdict, that could cause more unrest, more demonstrations, and things like that. And and the prosecutor's also aware of that. And he's probably very concerned for his community as well. So I know that I thought it was uh, interesting. And, and it was a very different the way that the, the the headlines that I read that that clued me into this whole like mistrial fiasco compared to the reality of it once Carrie explained what happened. Uh, you know, the way that the media has presented this this whole trial has been very frustrating and um or maybe not frustrating, but just very um clickbaity. Sure. Yeah, so so I also think that's frustrating. Fair. 
Yeah, that's how they get paid is by, you know, selling headlines, not, not unfortunately- by... Like, yeah. actually presenting the right information. Journalism is succumbing to the social media pool because it has to as an industry to survive, but it's it's resulting in exactly what you'd expect. So, you know, that's that's very been, been very disappointing throughout this whole one, trial. Anyway, that's one of the things I... One of my takeaways there. So a big, a big issue in this trial is that people are saying that the judge was very favorable to uh Rittenhouse. I think that that's a fair assessment. Like yes. that a, a lot of people are saying that. Um and like I think that that's absolutely true. Another thing that came up not only about Kyle um exercising his uh 5th amendment rights to not incriminate himself, but um the other piece of evidence that the prosecutor wanted to bring was that exact statement was that um the day before Kyle said, I wish I had my rifle with me. Um, I think that's relevant. I, you know, we can talk about whether the judge was biased or, you know, whether he was showing favoritism to Kyle. Um, but like that is absolutely relevant to Kyle's state of mind, at least in so far as showing up at the, uh, at the protest now, the, the reason the I judge mean, it disallowed arguably it arguably demonstrates premeditation, right? And the to reason, a certain extent, the reason the judge disallowed it was because he said that um, Kyle wasn't premeditating being confronted. Which, I mean, I guess fair enough, um, but it's absolutely relevant to Kyle's character. There are things that popped up, like the judge was the one who left his cell phone on. Uh, during one of the sessions, and it turned out that his uh, ringtone was Trump's ringtone uh. when he walks in on stage during rallies. That's not great. I mean, not that, like, Rittenhouse and Trump necessarily have a connection, but, like, also they definitely do. Um, and um, just he, he's, he has not been great. There's a picture of him that... I find very strange of uh, he's in the courtroom and they're, they're watching something and Rittenhouse is like practically touching him over his left shoulder. Like that, like if Uh, you, if you think that guy is a potential murderer, maybe don't let him like touch you during the the trial. So (laughs) one of the, and and just like sort of on the topic of, kind of weird things that the, that the judge did that I don't know necessarily that you want to say that they favored Kyle or not this one necessarily, but uh, mm-hmm. something else was. So the, the jury was made up of 19 people who sat through the trial. And then uh, during the course of that, one of them had to, was dismissed for making a racist joke. Um, and uh, actually side note, I talked a little bit with Carrie about that. You can hear that on the full interview. We'll tell you more about that in a minute. But at any rate, like, so then they had to get it down to 12 jury members. And to do that, the judge had like a little, like a lottery, lottery ball, like a bingo ball thing to select the jurors, um, which I think is kind of decent. It's, it's, it's random. You know, that's, that seems solid to me. Uh, sure. Except that. 
from uh, at least I don't uh, maybe I heard this wrong, but I'm I think I heard that he let Kyle select the the like ping pong balls or whatever out of the randomizer. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Um, Which is like that is there's not really anything wrong with that, but it's just kind of weird and sketchy and should raise everyone's eyebrow. That's that's not that's not something that's generally done. It's usually like the clerk uh, of the court who would be picking that um, out of you know out of a hat or out of yeah. a a right. uh, turnstile like that. What that's, it shows um, is like a certain sort of almost flippancy for the process, like almost not taking it seriously. Mm. To me, anyway, that's what. Yeah, it says to I me. mean, it's it's debatable, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not a good look. Yeah. No, no, it is not. I did say almost. I mean, <laughs> I I do yeah, want to bring anyway. up like Andy, you had like what like an hour long conversation with Carrie when you guys ta- spoke. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So she got and she got permission from her law firm to to speak with me um, about it, and she was uh, just a, a fountain of information. Yes. Um, I think what That's we're going to awesome. do... Well, thank you so much, Carrie. I mean, just because there is so much good stuff in there that we weren't able to use during the episode, we are going to release an additional episode over Patreon at first. Um, but basically, you're going to be able to heal, heal, Sorry. <laughs> you're going to be able to hear that whole hour that uh, Andy and Carrie talked. Um, first on Patreon, and then uh, as we uh, do sometimes, we're going to wait 30 days and release it to the main feed as well. So that way everybody can hear it. But uh, it was incredible. Uh, so if you've been waiting to, uh, you know, jump on the Patreon and need an excuse to, uh, this might be the time to do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it was it was a fantastic interview. Um, and furthermore, hopefully we will uh, be able to bring Carrie on on actually live with us for a for a full length episode Heck yeah. to talk about something else i think i teased this already to talk about something else that she uh has been interested in uh on, on the legal front that she wanted to talk about so is that it, would be awesome yeah i it, can't wait wait let me guess does she want to talk about how uh we have stolen hallmark's precious moments Precious moments. I hope not. No, but... But well done. Nathan, <laughs> we were never supposed to talk about that. Ah, uh, man, that's right. Uh, uh, ding dang. So can I just say that there have been, since the last time we recorded an episode, just an utter dearth of precious moment. Oh my goodness. That like... I honestly am not sure what I'm going to go with. Um, I don't have one at all, so... um, (laughs) (laughs) You've had like a month and a half. Well, Uh, nothing nothing good has happened at all. Here's what I'm going to do. I will go ahead and and jump in, because like, oh man, yeah, there's so much stuff. Um, Here's the thing. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there is still a global pandemic happening. Uh, have Have you heard about this? Really? It's a COVID... Hasn't come across my news feed. Yep, I don't uh, believe you. COVID-19. And uh, turns out that America is not the only country having trouble uh, getting people vaccinated. 
Um, apparently, Austria is having a lot of trouble as well. Um, so what a, uh, a certain business, let's say, uh, in Austria has done is they're offering a session with one of their professionals for 30 minutes in exchange for getting your COVID-19 vaccination. <laughs> and uh, hey, it, it, so I think that's great. You know, professional value. Yeah. Uh, it's an Austrian. What, uh, what type of session is this like a massage? It, well, there are happy endings and beginnings and middles. I think it is, it's a brothel. Uh, so you go in and, uh, you get vaccinated and then you spend, uh, a 30 minute session with, uh, the, uh, professional of your choice. So that's kind of fun. Wow. I know that's relocate. No, I don't. I'm married. That's, that's an incredible value though for your, for your dollar. Indeed. Zero dollars. Zero dollars for your dollar. Right. Man, that is awesome. I know that. Oh, wait. There's, the way I, I'm going to do one more just because it's quick and I love it. Uh, apparently, uh, there's a new push in DC to, uh, get the, uh, jail system fixed because apparently the conditions are terrible and the people who want it to happen are people who were arrested because of January 6th. <laughs> so a bunch of uh, like nice. white supremacists and alt-right people are now stuck in the terrible, uh, the terrible <laughs> jails in DC and they want to fix them because it now affects them. Like everything that conservatives <laughs> oh, want to no. fix. It's pretty great. Okay. That was my, those are my yeah. two. Nice. That's beautiful. Well, and, and uh, listen, I had some trouble narrowing, narrowing this down because there were a lot of wild, great things on my radar since, Absolutely. since the last time that we recorded. And, and one of the, and I thought about telling you guys about how Otis was crowned the uh, the biggest bear, the uh, the fattest bear of yeah. Fat Bear Week. Oh, um, yeah. But I decided not to. I did consider talking about how Kanye changed his name to Yee. Yee. But that just seemed kind of dumb because it's Kanye and who cares? <laughs> did you see that Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson are dating now? Apparently, that's the SNL guy, right? He's hilarious. Yeah. They, uh, Isn't she hosted she married early, to Kanye? Uh, they have gotten a divorce from what I understand. Uh, oh. So. Well, uh, good for her. Good, good job, Pete, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Kim Kardashian is not what I would personally consider particularly attractive, but if, but that's, I'm not dating her, so I don't Wow. Care. Wow. Pete Davidson, you. I like you Pete Davidson thing, a whole man. lot. I do too. He's cool. Um, so I, I, I want to say that I did consider, um, one of my favorite, one of, one of the top things I considered was Steve Buscemi's Halloween costume, where he dressed up as his, uh, character from 30 Rock, where he tried to, where he was infiltrating the, the high school. I was part of a special task force of very young looking cops who infiltrated high schools. How do you do, fellow kids? What? How do you do, I, fellow kids? Yeah, yes. right. no, I know that means you sure. guys. It was you good. guys know I have worn it around you several times. I own the music band shirt that he wears in that sketch. Oh, uh, nice. because I, I love never it. noticed. Yeah, I wear it all the time. Um, runner up, I think was was, but didn't quite make the cut. Was that one a, a band that I really like uh, called Brass Against?
the front woman lead singer in a concert peed on a fan. A willing fan. The fan was a willing participant in this. And uh, the crowd loved it. She peed on a fan. Um, so that's a thing. Wow. But what I decided I really wanted <laughs> okay. to focus on is the fact that the guy who played Barney the Dinosaur now sure, runs sure. a tantric sex business. That's creepy. Yeah, it's Heck great, yeah. isn't it? He's been doing it since 2004. Well, to ride the um, children's TV train, I, I found one. Um, so, uh, apparently Big Bird came out recently with a, uh, you know, a, a video oh, yeah. about getting vaccinated and, uh, you know, talking about getting vaccinated and that he's received a vaccine Oh sure. ever since he was a little bird. Wolf, uh... Uh, I'm a little scared to get the shot because I don't like needles. Uh, will it hurt? Oh, it's okay to be scared and to have some of those big feelings, Big Bird. Can I tell you something? I'm a grown-up, and I don't really like needles mm -hmm. either. In fact, even as an adult, I don't like to look when the doctor puts that shot in my arm. And I'm the same way too, Big Bird. Well, but you're a doctor. Yeah, but, you know, even some doctors don't like getting shots. Luckily, there are ways that we can manage some of those big feelings. Oh, yeah. You know, one thing that I find is maybe singing a song to distract yourself. Maybe the ABCs while you're getting your shot. You know what I like to do? I like to bring something from home that might make me feel safe, like a favorite toy maybe. I also take three big breaths and then think about all the fun things I can do after I get the vaccine. And um, that could be against that. That made several people very unhappy about the politicization of Sesame Street, um, including <laughs> Mr. Ted Cruz, a lovely person that we have talked about a few times on this podcast. And uh, he slammed Big Bird in tweets about uh, this, this little informative video encouraging children to be vaccinated. And um, it's just hilarious to me. It warms <laughs> the muscles seen... of my heart. Well, and the the best thing about it, the thing that I love is a video from 1972 of Big Bird saying, like, you should get vaccinated has, like, resurfaced. <laughs> so, like... Hi, Big Bird. How you doing? Great. What's going on here? Oh, well, today's the day when the, the, the city vaccination units come, come to the neighborhood and... Uh, they set up a measles vaccination clinic here in the store. You mean something like a hospital right here in Mr. Loper's store? Yeah, well, sort of. Uh, you know, they've got all their equipment and meals and things, and uh, the kids are going to go in and uh, get vaccinated so they won't catch the measles. Gosh. Well, uh, if you're a hospital, then uh, uh, you must have a nurse. Sure, we've got a nurse. You do? Yeah. Now, Big Bird, you know I'm a trained nurse. Oh, Susan, so you're I, a nurse. Sure, so I came down and I thought I'd help. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, does your clinic have a doctor, too? Oh. Sure, you want to meet the doctor? Come around here and meet the doctor. Oh, Dr. boy. Marzullo. Here's someone I want you to meet. This is Big Bird. This is Dr. Marzullo. How do oh, you do, hi. Big How Bird? How are you? I'm fine. Wow. <laughs> hey, I know what I'm going to do right away. What, what are you going to do? I want to get in line. You're gonna have I your... want to get a measles shot. Well, I don't want to get the measles. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
It, like nice. it's been doing it for fifty years. Like if that's a problem for you, then I I don't know what to tell you. At least wow. Big Bird is consistent, you know. Yes, absolutely. You're watching Newsmax Kids. At one, it's White Power Rangers, but first, it's Ted Cruz Street. Texas senator and the last one invited to Thanksgiving, Ted Cruz. You know, for 50 years, I stood by as Sesame Street taught our children dangerous ideas like numbers and kindness. But when Big Bird told children to get vaccinated against a deadly disease, I said, enough. And I created my own Sesame Street called Cruz Street. It's a gated community where kids are safe from the woke government. Tell them, kids. Cruzy Dave's sweeping the lids away. And he hopes you'll say that his beard looks sweet. Grab an eagle and a gun. Bring that gun to Cruz Street. Did someone side bring gun? Oh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm just taking a break from releasing the phone numbers of Republicans who voted for the infrastructure bill so they and their families get death threats. And I thought I'd stop by. Here, kid, you want to hold the AR-15? Uh, I don't think I should. Pussy. <laughs> and I hear you have a word from our sponsor. That's right. Today's episode is brought to you by Q, not the letter the man. He will tell us when JFK Jr., who is alive, will reveal himself and help President Trump reclaim his rightful throne. Everything about that sounds right. Thanks, Marjorie. I represent America. I once heard that uh, Ted Cruz looks like Wolverine if instead of claws he had limp penises come out of his hand. Yeah, uh, that's right. I've never been able to see anything else ever since when I looked at him. This is supposed to be a kids-friendly show, Andy. It is absolutely not. Oh, okay. Well, all right, fine. That's fair. I I don't want to like anybody. We but... just spent the entire two hours talking about m- m- alleged murder, right? From a child, for that matter. Right. So that's that's fun. Anyway, I really need to come up with a catchphrase. Hopefully, we gave you something to think about this week. Love you. Bye. Can I do that again? I want. Sorry, I I just need I need to stop saying this week. We're not doing weekly, really. I should just stop saying that. I'm a, can I do that again? Sorry. Five, four. I hope we gave you something to think about. Love you. Bye. Hey, look, I don't have to say it. I know it. You know it. But we love you. And we'd love it if you checked out Facebook or Twitter or, ooh, Patreon. Anyway, until next time, keep your head up. So, so... Is I'm glad your mic can hear you because we can't. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just finished. It's so weird oh, that you guys no. oh, can't. Oh, were you doing it? I was doing it really loud <laughs> for a while. Like, really? All, all throughout, you saying, can I do that again?
<laughs> I was doing it. So that's all oh going. It's God, all really? going in. It's all going in. It's great. Amazing. <laughs>